when we think about ourselves versus the entire universe, we pretty much feel like what would the feeling we get when we watch this image. This image, by the way, is a real picture. This is taken by NASA's Voyager 1, uh, which is a space probe that is still touring space, I think, for uh, about 45 years now. Um, and about 30 years ago, when it was about 6 billion uh, kilometers or so away from Earth, it took this image. And I don't even know if you can see it here, but there's where, where you see my laser point here, there's like a little, little pale blue dot. And that is our planet and uh, somewhere on this planet, there is another tiny little speck on this little speck that is you. And so I really think this image kind of captures the feeling we get when we think about ourselves versus the entire universe. There's no doubt that when we, when we consider the magnitude of the universe, we feel as tiny specks on a blue little planet that's floating in this unbelievably vast cosmic ocean. And yet, the question that I want to bring up today is, what is really this universe? What is this so-called place that we are in? Is it really a place? And is there some underlying connection between everything that has ever existed or will exist in this so-called place? So let's start simple with, uh, with this bear. Uh, here we go. So this, this uh, bear, as you can see, is just about to eat this nice little salmon uh, in this river and it's just about to, to get into into its mouth into uh, the bear's mouth as you can see um, but beyond this image that we can all see and explain what's in the image right what we see if we would were to look deeper into this image we could actually see the cosmic clockwork of the entire universe that brought the bear and the salmon to this point, this moment in time where the salmon is almost about to become bear food, right? Why? Because the salmon was initially born here in this river, and then that was about two years ago before this moment occurred. And so the salmon, uh, after it was born in this river, it went into the Pacific Ocean, and that can mean several thousand miles away from this river. And the salmon was maturing for about two years in the Pacific Ocean until it grew and its, uh, uh, its body evolved to a point where the sunlight through the ocean was able to trigger some hormones in the salmon that send electric, uh, uh, electrochemical signals that signal the salmon to start migrating back. And so 
at that point in time, the salmon is thousands of miles away from this river in the Pacific Ocean somewhere. And how does it make its way back to this river that where it was born? So we don't know exactly how it does it. Not fully, but we do know that the salmon is somehow using the Earth's magnetic field like a compass. And this magnetic field, um, also called the, the, the magnetosphere sometimes, uh, this magnetic field of the planet, it emanates from the core of planet Earth and it protects planet Earth from what we call solar winds, which are, which are basically charged particles from the sun. And that magnetic field becomes the compass for the salmon that is using it to go thousands of miles back to the river where it was born. Now, the, the bear got here, got to that river, after about four months of hibernation. And the reason the bear goes to hibernation is because the bear is instinctively connected to the seasons of planet Earth. And so when the winter comes, the bear feels that it needs to find cover. So it makes a den, it finds a den. And then because the bear's body is tuned to the seasons of planet Earth, it gradually begins to go into hibernation and that means that the body temperature of the bear starts dropping down the heartbeat of the bear decreases to about eight be beats per minute and the reason that the planet has seasons to begin with is because the planet is tilted on its axis about 23 degrees so that it faces the sun with this tilt of 23 degrees and that's the reason why we have seasons on the planet to begin with so the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere for example you'll always find there's opposite seasons if it's winter in the north it's summer in the south and and so forth because different parts of the planet are in different in a lean towards the sun in a different angle and so the reason this is why we have seasons on planet Earth and the bear, as we said, is intimately connected to those seasons. It follows the rhythm of the seasons. And so why did this tilt of planet Earth exist? How did it happen? Well, that's because uh, about four and a half billion years ago, Earth and another planet that scientists refer to as Theia were on a collision course. And this collision between Earth and Theia took place about four and a half billion years ago, creating that 23 degrees, degrees tilt because of which we have the seasons on our planet. Now, as a result of this explosion, what uh, all of the debris was then formed gradually over a long period of time into what we now know as the moon. The moon that orbits uh, uh, planet Earth is also is actually the reason why we have tides on planet Earth because the moon has this what we call gravitational pull. 
its gravity pulls on planet Earth, and that creates the tides. And the tides are also why ultimately the salmon was finally pushed from the ocean into that river back when it was born and ultimately into the bear's mouth. And that is why when you see a bear picking salmon from a river, you're looking at the entire universe at work. Nothing less than that. So when we begin to see how um, just how intertwined and how interconnected and interdependent everything is in the universe, it starts looking like one single program. And so if everything in the universe is actually connected, that means that it's actually really all one. In other words, all the laws of nature, they're interconnected. And therefore, they are, in fact, a single program. We, of course, can't comprehend this entire program in a single view, in a single breath. So we divide it and analyze it and dissect it to different elements and items and events and occurrences and laws and forces of nature. But they really all are ultimately just one thing, a single synchronous program so let's ask this question why why does the bear eat the salmon to begin with why does it need to eat the bear well the answer is obviously because it needs energy but what is that energy where did it come from and in fact all of the energy that ever existed on this planet came from 13.8 billion years ago from what scientists refer to as the Big Bang. This inflationary expansion um, that, that put the whole material universe in motion. So back then, at first, there was only energy. Energy was the only thing that existed. And that energy, over time, simply took the form of gases at first, clouds of gases, and then they became solids, and then they became stars and planets and so forth. But essentially, everything in the universe is still the same energy. This is something we're familiar from, uh, familiar with uh, in science as the the law of conservation of energy right no energy can ever be created or destroyed after the big bang all that is happening is that this energy is just shape-shifting endlessly it's constantly changing its form and so it takes the form of objects that also consume energy and gain energy whether it's the birth and death of a star that takes millions and millions of years, or a blade of grass on planet Earth that's doing photosynthesis to capture energy from the sun, or a bear eating salmon, or you eating your Big Mac at McDonald's. It doesn't matter what it is. 
everything that's happening is this continuous transformation of the same energy from the Big Bang. We are all continuously transforming the same energy from the Big Bang. And so everything in the universe is ultimately different forms of that same energy. And when you... When, when scientists start researching the microscopic world or the quantum world, things get extremely strange. This is, um, this is a headline from the Scientific American. Just a few weeks ago, there was a Nobel Prize uh, in physics given to people who proved quantum entanglement uh, experimentally. And essentially what that showed is, like the title says here, that the universe is not locally real. And the physics uh, no, uh, Nobel Prize winners proved it. So what does it mean that the universe is not locally real? Well, these are terms that, of course, need to be interpreted in the right context. Realism basically means that objects have definite properties, independent of observation. So uh, this, this mug here is, is uh, colorful, uh, it has some flowers on it, and it's solid, and I can drink from it thanks to that. Hmm. And so this mug is solid and colorful, and it'll stay that way even if no one is looking, right? That's the idea called realism, that objects have definite properties independent of observation. Locality means that objects um, means that objects can only be influenced by their immediate surroundings. So you can't influence one thing uh, in one part of the universe. Uh, you can't influence something in the other side of the universe if there's nothing that actually um, um, transmits this influence. And no influence can travel faster than the speed of light. So locality basically means there can't be this weird action at a distance between objects. The universe is local in that sense. So local realism is what we are intuitively used to, right? But here's the thing. In uh, quantum mechanics, there's a phenomenon called entanglement, quantum entanglement. And, and essentially what it means is that particles can be separated even across the universe. And if you influence one, you instantly influence the other. We're not going to get into the details of it, but this was experimentally proved over many years, many experiments and three physicists won the, the recent 2022 Nobel Prize for proving that, for essentially proving that the universe is not locally real. Now, that means that the universe is either not real, in the sense that objects don't have definite properties independent of observation, or it is not local, meaning that influences can travel uh, not just through the immediate surroundings, or it's neither, but it's definitely not both. That's basically what these experiments with quantum entanglement show us, that the universe can't be both local and 
real. So it's not locally real. Okay, so that was a little bit of a uh, physics terminology. But the point is this. If the entire universe is working like a single program, as we saw from the example of the bear and the salmon, and we can take any other example of life on Earth and see its in intimate, immediate, uh, magnificent connection, I would say, to the entire universe. Every uh, uh, event in the history of the universe is ultimately recorded and embedded into the, the physics of planet Earth and the biology of everything that is living on it. By the way, there is a great um, uh, series a documentary series that I would absolutely recommend to those who are interested in, in more of these examples of how all of life on Earth is connected to everything in the universe. It's called Our Universe, and um, and you can go ahead and, and watch it. I um, I wholeheartedly recommend it if you're, if you're interested. So if the universe is indeed a single program, and if the universe is ultimately... Um, everything in it is made of the same energy created at the Big Bang. And at the quantum level, the universe is not even locally real. Then what is this universe that we think of as a giant place? What is it, right? James Jeans was a uh, um, was a great uh, physicist, astronomer, and mathematician. He made important contributions uh, in physics in areas like uh, quantum theory and uh, stellar evolution and other things. Um, and in the last century, he said the following, the universe looks more and more like a great thought rather than a great machine. And this is something that Kabbalists have been saying all along. Check out this quote from Kabbalist Yehuda Ashlag, Bala Sulam, also known as Master of the Ladder in English, the one who wrote the commentary on the seminal Kabbalistic book, the Book of Zohar. Uh, look at what he writes in, um, in one of the chapters of the study of the Tenth Sfirot. He writes the following, A single thought emanates and creates the whole of reality, both upper and lower, in its final state of the end of correction. That single thought performs all the operations. It is the essence of all the operations, and it is the purpose and the essence of the labor. It is by itself the very perfection and the sought-after reward as Nachmanides wrote, one, unique, and unified. So we, we, we need to take a second to digest this. This, uh, this is very uh, profound, deep, uh, Kabbalistic text. And uh, we probably can't go into dissecting every piece of it. But the, the main message here is that we are living in a giant thought or a giant program but it's a single 
thought. It's a single program that includes everything in it. This thought is upper to us. It created us. We are living inside of it, not the other way around. Just like how we see through our five senses and through the the ordinary material investigation of nature, it's very clear to us that we didn't create ourselves, right? Nature created us, not the other way around. So what's behind all of the inner workings of nature, Kabbalists say, is a single thought. And that single thought is what they refer to as the thought of creation. This is the womb that we are in, or the, if you will, the place that we exist in. And this thought is, as Nachmanides wrote, and Barasulam references it here in the end, it is one unique and unified, meaning that it contains everything, all of space and all of time. Time is something that we experience in this linear way where we can't go back and we can't uh, uh, move faster than how how we move in it and we are always going in a certain direction. That's our experience of the different aspects or facets of the same single thought. From a Kabbalistic perspective. Because this thought again contains everything. It's like a program. Think about it like a code. Like computer code. It already contains all of the possible states. That appear later in the program. And so if everything is actually connected. One unique and unified. That brings up a very obvious question. Why do we feel ourselves as separate things, separate from each other, separate from the the animals, the plants, and all the other life, separate from nature, separate from the cosmos? See, if everything is connected, that sense of a separate self is an illusion. Enter the human ego. The human ego is the reason why we feel that we are separate from everything else in reality. The ego is like the the program that shapes our perception of reality. That's what Kabbalists refer to as ego. It is the, the code within us, so to speak, that renders this illusory sense of separation between us and the world, us and other people, me and everything else. But if we were to look at everything outside of that lens, we can see everything is connected. Everything is one. The whole universe is a single program. All of it is the same energy, even from a modern scientific, simple modern scientific perspective, right? Uh, And also from an advanced cutting-edge scientific perspective, we see that um, there's no 
concept of distance even that things that look separate could be completely interconnected even across the whole universe so where do we go from here right um i do hope that um that you have uh, some questions that uh, will help us clarify what we've discussed so far and then we'll see where we'll go next okay so uh i do see a question here this one is from victor victor is asking can you regard thought as a story which we are told um hey victor it's it's interesting that you bring up the concept of uh, a story because um Kabbalists actually do in fact use the metaphor of a story to describe the thought of creation there is there's an article in in a very uh, significant Kabbalistic um, book called Shamati there's an article there called uh, book author story and essentially the um, all of those three, the book, the author, and the story, they're all intertwined. They're all connected. They're all one. But we discover um, we, we discover that we are in this book by playing out the story. And that takes us to discover, the intention of the author that's again you just you brought it up so i so i said a few words about it but um uh, that that's it's a very profound article short but uh very deep and uh and so there there's something to what you're to what you're saying in terms of uh looking at the thought of creation as a story um yeah okay uh here's another one <clears throat> Here's another one from, um, uh, who is it there? Okay, this is this one's from Julie. What is the function of our emotional states and intuitive feelings? Okay, that's um, um, I don't know what was it, Julie, in the in this presentation specifically that triggered it. Uh, so maybe it's more like a general question. But I'll, I'll, I'll try to say something about it in the context of, um, of this thought of creation. So everything that we go through here, including all of our emotional states, and like you said, our intuitive feelings, everything we do think and feel is part of that program. It's part of the thought of creation. What Kabbalists discovered is that, remember the, the illusory sense of self that, that we talked about just a minute ago? I'll, I'll already use this opportunity to go forward a little bit. This illusory sense of self that we feel, which we refer to in Kabbalah as the ego, this mode of perception that we are in, that 
is where we experience all of our feelings. Like you say, our intuitive feelings, our emotional states, all of those are contained and experienced within the ego. What Kabbalists found is that the fact that we feel separate from the rest of nature, from the rest of reality, the fact that we live inside this egoistic bubble of a limited, separate perception, and everything we feel in it, that too is part of the program. This means that we aren't really outside of the thought of creation. We just think we are. It's, the human is a very interesting creature. Think about it. Our bodies, our flesh and blood body, made up of, say, 50 trillion cells, <clears throat> they work perfectly in tune with the rest of the universe. They, all the cells in your body, they know exactly what to do without, and without you telling them, Right? Our body is part of the program, but for some reason, our mind and heart, or our consciousness, if you will, appears to be outside of this program. The, the, that's where we have this illusory sense of separation, the illusion of the self. It's not in our body, it's in our mind and heart. And so... What Kabbalists found is that, <clears throat> is that the illusion is only the starting point for human existence. The illusion of separation is a, an important and necessary condition for us to independently, consciously re-enter the program, but not enter it like the still, the vegetative, and the animate that are already inside the program, but they don't know that they are in it. They're literally just parts of the program. The human, on the other hand, is the sensitive element in the thought of creation that is destined to and designed for feeling, attaining, experiencing the oneness of that thought of creation. As we read from uh, Nachmanides here at, with, at the end of that quote, he called it one unique and unified. The fact that we have an ego that separates us from the program, from the thought of creation, and everything that we feel, our emotional states, our intuitive feelings, whatever it is, it is only as a starting point as a state from which we need to go back consciously to that thought of creation where everything is one, unique, and unified, as the Kabbalists put it, where there is oneness that exists between us, the rest of humanity, the rest of all created beings, and even the galaxies and the planets far, far away from us from a material point of view. All of that needs to become a feeling of oneness, a consciousness of oneness within the human being. And all the states that we go through 
including all our emotional states, all our intuitive feelings, whatever we think, feel, and do, is in order for us to add our unique conscious participation in that thought of creation, specifically from a certain emotional state, one time and then another time from a different emotional state, and so forth. All those changing states within us of mind and heart, they are states from which we can consciously go back to the thought of creation. That's essentially what Kabbalists do, and that's what we teach also in Kabbu. We lay out the the method of the Kabbalists about exactly how you can bring yourself from every moment of life back to that thought of creation more and more and more to the point that you begin to perceive it and you begin to relate your whole existence to it. That, of course, is a gradual process and, and something that requires what we call inner work in Kabbalah. But that's the spiritual development process that we're going through. So uh, I, I hope that that answered your question or at least um, uh, helped us put it in the, in the context of today. Um, Adrian Feitu um, is asking, can we speed up this program? Wow, that's a very relevant question, Adrian. Um, that's a very relevant question. Just, just thinking about what's the best way to, uh, to, uh, to answer it without, uh, while, while leaving more time for more questions. Um, Adrian, check, check this out. Let's go back to the quote for a second. A single thought emanates and creates the whole of reality, both upper and lower, in its final state of the end of correction. That's, I'll stop here. That's, that's what I wanted from the, from the quote to answer your question. What does it mean? It means that there is a state where creation reaches its completion. Kabbalists refer to that state as the end of correction. Now, as you saw from the quote, if you read it attentively, you see that for from the perspective of the thought of creation, there is no time. That final state of perfection, what we call the end of correction in Kabbalah, that state already exists. It's already there put it differently it's already here we are in it we are in the final state of creation meaning completely bonded and connected with everything in the universe and connected to the program that governs the universe the thought of creation we're already there connected to it but obviously we don't feel it, not, not as something that we just wake up one morning and, and feel. We, we're not born with this feeling. We have to develop it, right? Because from our perspective, from the perspective of the human, the created being inside the system, we have to develop the sensor for it, to develop our senses. That happens to us in a per, in in an experience that we call 
time and space. Time and space are simply how the development of our senses, of our spiritual senses, feels like. It feels to us inside the ego currently that we exist within time and space. Can we speed up the process? The answer is yes. Yes, we can. Because there is a latitude for us to participate, to add some effort or labor, as it is called in Kabbalah, to add some efforts on our part to rise above our ego, to exit the, the, the illusion of the self, the sense of separateness. We have the ability to add our own efforts to it. And as we do that, we shorten the time that it takes us to get there. And that's exactly what the free choice of the human being is all about, according to Kabbalah. To speed up our development and thereby experience our development in a completely different way also instead of time uh, feeling like slow and painful and 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 in turn all kinds of horrible things happening to us individually socially globally the the sooner we make an effort to come out of our ego and connect to the rest of reality, connect to the thought of creation, and that again requires inner work of the mind and the heart, nothing else. It has nothing to do with all kinds of external practices, rituals, religions, it has nothing to do with that. It is the consciousness of the human being that needs to evolve. The mind and heart of the human being that need to expand, to include the rest of reality into ourselves or put it differently to exit the limited bubble of the egoistic mind and heart that we are in any way you say it it means the same thing and so the way for us to hasten to speed up the process is to add our own conscious effort um, in in connecting to the thought of creation connecting to that single thought that we're all part of. And that path, that transformation, goes through coming out of this illusion of separateness. We have to begin developing an, uh, uh, the sensor of connection within us. And we do that according to the method of Kabbalah in a very systematic way. We do it first with a group of people, and that's how we learn to develop these, this sort of sense of connection, this sensation that is that trans that transcends our ego. Uh, and from there, we can once we we do it with with even just a group of people, we already discover the the template of the thought of creation. This single uh, sort of uh, principle that repeats itself in all of creation. Um, th th there's more to talk about it, but we'll, we'll, we'll stop here. This is what, what Kabbalists call the Ten Sfirot, um, the connection between the quality of the governing force 
of nature or the creator or the 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 um, the um, where the thought of creation emanates from and the nature of the created being when we find meaning the ego the sense of separateness when we find the connection between the two that connection is happens through uh 10 qualities that are referred to as the 10 spirit all right that's that's too detailed for now let's uh let's do some more questions um okay Here is um, uh, Sweet Calm Mind Relaxation. That's a nice name. Uh, you're asking, does Kabbalah have any concept of beings higher than man within the material universe? If so, how do they fit into the Kabbalistic framework? Okay. Um, all, of, all of creation... You know what? Actually, I might just have... A, quote that I like that is relevant to this uh, might not sure no I don't think I have it at hand okay the um, yeah the the only thing that exists in creation from a Kabbalistic point of view is the only thing that was created the only thing that was created is listen to this if you're new here, a desire to receive pleasure, a desire to be fulfilled, a desire to enjoy. The vessel that was created, the one and only vessel that was created, nothing else was created, um, is a desire. The will to receive, the desire to, to receive. It was created by the opposite force that we refer to as the creator. The creator meaning the desire to bestow, the desire to give, the desire to unconditionally love and bestow. These are like two opposite vectors. When we think of love and bestowal and giving, we don't even know what these concepts mean. Because we interpret them from within our ego and from within our will to receive. So until we actually come out of the ego and somehow our vessel, our will to receive, learns to work in a new way, until then we don't know what the quality of bestowal actually is. We can imagine it as complete unconditional giving unconditional love that is really the force that creates life that begets everything that that exists so anything that was that that we refer to as we also call it light in kabbalah and everything that uh everything that exists in creation is part of the vessel the created being and so this vessel has four levels. Um, we call them the four phases of direct light in Kabbalah. Uh, you might have heard of the letters in Hebrew, yud Hey vav Hey, which are commonly referred to as the name of God. In Kabbalah, these things are not um, 
are not so airy and fluffy and unclear and, and vague. They're very technical and they're very specific. Yud, Hei, Vav, Hei, uh, these four phases of direct light represent the way in which the vessel was created. It is the template that, that is the skeleton of the spiritual vessel, so to speak. It's also synonymous with the ten sefirot. It's the same thing. Those four phases or the ten sefirot, they're the same, and I can't show it right now. It'll take too much time, but it's actually the same thing. And so those four levels ultimately generate in our perception what we perceive as the still, the vegetative, the animate, and the human level of, of, uh, of nature. So, you're asking if there are higher forms or other forms of beings? There are definitely parts of the program that we haven't discovered yet or aren't able to sense with our limited five senses. But all of these other forces uh, or other creatures they ultimately are one of those four levels, even if they are such that we cannot identify with our naked eyes or with our uh, even our scientific tools that expand the range of our senses. They never do more than that. All our scientific tools in ordinary science, they simply expand the range, the sensitivity of our perception, of our five senses. They don't give us a new sense. And so um, there are more forces that are driving creation to its purpose, that are leading the created being to discover the thought of creation. But they do not have free choice. They are not that sensitive part of creation that is destined to become corrected, to become transformed. That part is us. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. I hope that that gives you uh, a, frame of, a framework to, to look at it. Um, okay. Um, Karen Bolden is asking, does meditation help this process of knowing our heart? Okay, first of all, um, meditation, uh, there's all kinds of meditation, and uh, I, I definitely think that a lot of, a lot of uh, meditations are useful, but it's not the same method at all that Kabbalists are, are teaching us. Um, I won't go too deep into this, I'll just give a few broad strokes, okay? The, the, in the, in the Kabbalistic system, what you do is, yes, you, you go deeper into who you are, what you are, what you're made of, what your mind and heart are aimed at, what the heart really wants, and how do you begin to calibrate that. This is the Kabbalistic practice. You can call it a meditative practice. 
in that sense it's very meditative but the way to do it is not to seclude yourself and 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 shut off the rest of reality and try to just focus in you could do that here and there for a few minutes we, we for we sometimes uh do that uh, also but the practice is not that the practice is with a group of people you try to sense to calibrate your mind and heart to sense the force that connects you the thought of creation that you're all part of that is in in a nutshell the the key effort in the inner work of of a kabbalist and so it's very different from um sort of shutting off reality and and going in uh to your own like uh inner world and again i'm not saying that's might not be that that's not useful that could be useful also uh for relaxation and for uh uh to to it can meditation can help people in a lot of ways and there are better experts than me uh in terms of meditation but from a kabbalistic perspective it's not enough in order to really attain that uh, uh deeper law of reality because the deeper law of nature the law of reality the thought of creation is the law that connects together all elements into one. And that means we have to, in order to attain it, in order to feel it, in order to experience it, we have to calibrate ourselves towards connection with the rest of reality. We have to find our connection with all of reality. And the way to do that without deceiving ourselves to actually be able to measure it empirically and, and do it in a systematic way is towards other people. The gateway to experience the, the, the governing quality of bestowal that, that runs this whole universe, the gateway is the love of mankind, is the love of all the other pieces of myself, that's what you discover in Kabbalah. By working with a group of people, you begin to discover that they are parts of you. And that uh, opens up the perception within you that you're actually part of everything. That, that, that um, you know, Kabbalist uh, Rav Kook had a great one kind of quote that summarizes it. He says, "I wish the whole of humanity would be as uh, would be compressed in a single body, so that I could embrace it." So it's it's a it's just a it's poetic and metaphorical, but you get the the direction of the kind of intention that you need to develop in order to experience the intention of nature. We have to achieve what Kabbalists call equivalence of form, similarity in our intention to the intention of this uh, thought of creation. And that happens only with respect to other people. You, 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 you can't do it alone without deceiving yourself. So um, let's see if we can take maybe one or two more 
uh, questions here before we uh, we're gonna have to uh, to conclude. Um, I just there's a bunch here that um, okay maybe we'll try to uh, to do more than than one or two but do them quick okay so um, Crystal hey Crystal Crystal is asking so does quantum entanglement link the present past and future well if you if you asked uh, if you talk to physicists and I spoke to uh, to some of them uh, uh, actually recently I had a lot of discussions following this Nobel Prize uh, in physics uh, with a few uh, physicist friends uh, and uh, no there's no they, they don't link it like that and um, uh, you know science has its own kind of uh, methods of inquiry and 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 drawing conclusions and they don't go directly from quantum entangle entanglement to the link between past present and and future that's from the you know traditional kind of uh classic uh scientific perspective um, um dan is asking if there is no time in creation why are there days in creation? Okay, Dan, from a Kabbalistic perspective, what you uh, are familiar with as the days of creation, these are not days uh, in the astronomical sense, uh, like the, 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 the earth, uh, you know, the, the earth spinning around the sun, uh, 24 hours for 24 hours and that creates the day and night cycle that's not uh, a day uh, also even you know the concept of a day wasn't in and wasn't even uh, didn't even exist before there was uh, a planet <laughs> that formed um, right anyways the 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 days of creation they do mean something in the wisdom of Kabbalah but it's beyond time and space day uh, day which is basically the, the 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 combination of day and night is represents a spiritual structure in the wisdom of Kabbalah and so the seven days of creation they, they're referring to seven qualities that went through this this complete that achieved this complete structure called day and night which is light and darkness which is the entrance of light into the vessel and the departure of light from the vessel um not something we can get into right now in 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 just um in a word or two but these are inner states and qualities and not uh physical uh time and space uh, the seven days ultimately refer to the seven sfirot that are below the first three. The first three represents the thought, represent the thought of creation, the thought of the creator, bina, and then um, the seven other sfirot represent like the the structure of the vessel itself, the created being. Okay, um, that was too long than I uh, hoped it would be. Sorry, is there? Um, Roderick Van Kulen is asking, is there anything uncreated in creation? Um, no, everything that is to be created was already created. Again, 
it's very hard for us to to conceive of this, but the true state of reality is beyond space and time. There, the, the fact that we experience it as time is a very subjective measurement. It is, um, uh, think about it like a computer code. Again, if you are playing a game on your computer, you feel like there's time and you're going from stage one to stage two and, and it takes you time. But from the perspective of the code, there is no time. There's all the states are already laid out in the code and they all exist from beginning to end. They're all there, right? Creation is the universe. Reality is very similar. It is a thought that is completed. It is a program that is already uh, completed and it includes, therefore, everything that uh, will ever be created and appear in our material universe within time and space. Okay, there are uh, a bunch more questions here. Um, uh, I hope I hope that throughout this this hour uh, we at least answered some of them even if they were not asked here. Uh, at this point, I do have to conclude, but uh, if you're a CABU student, I will see you in a minute in our exclusive Zoom session for the CABU students. If you are not a CABU student, then check out the links uh, in the description, in the chat. Um, check out the links. You can go ahead and sign up for CABU. Uh, there's a free trial for 14 days. Uh, we're a nonprofit. So uh, even then, even after those 14 days, the cost is low and everything we, we collect is really just to continue our, our work in spreading this wisdom to anyone who's interested in it, uh, to create more courses and more programs and so forth. So uh, we definitely welcome everyone and anyone to CUBU. CUBU is where you can get really like a step-by-step -step program. A step-by-step -step program that will take you from the basics deeper and deeper into uh, realizing, actualizing the method of Kabbalah. There's also topic-based courses, so you can kind of take a standalone course on a topic of your choice. There is like a course about the um, uh, the three big states of of the thought of creation. By the way. Uh, there's a course about the Book of Zohar, for example. There's a, a bunch of different courses that you might find interesting. And, of course, there's, there's always um, uh, support there. There are forums where you can ask questions. So I think for today's audience here, this is worthwhile to mention. It's definitely worthwhile for you to try out Kabu. I think some of you will really, really uh, like it. Those who already have a ripe desire to begin developing their spiritual vessel uh, there's no doubt you're going to get a lot from from trying out kabu so check out the links uh, for those who are already kabu members i will see you in a minute in our zoom session uh, we'll see you there for everyone who was here thank you all for for watching from being here i hope you had fun and uh, i'll see you next time so till then all the best, everybody. Bye-bye.